us, Lord. I thank you for the chance we get to worship you, as some people don't get that chance, Lord. I pray that you touch hearts in the service, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Almost ran all over. Well, that was fun, wasn't it? Yeah, it was a lot of fun. They did a great job. It's always it's always a pleasure to hear them them lead worship, <clears throat> and uh, I got the ability to hear that twice. So that was that was that was really really good, really a blessing. Everybody ready for Christmas? Yeah, good. I think I'll be ready tomorrow. Got a couple of things to pick up, and then I think I'm done. Wrapping, whole deal. Because I'm taking tomorrow off. So if you're going to look for me tomorrow, I will not be here. I'll be somewhere else doing other things. <laughs> yeah. Earlier um, this week, uh, I just had a moment where um, I really saw the value of my wife. And so I, I turned over to her, and, and I looked at her, and, and I said, Lord, uh, uh, Nicole, you're a rare find. In fact, you're rarer than toilet paper during a pandemic. <laughs> yeah. And then I said, I'm your Prince Charming, which is one I borrowed from somebody. That wasn't one. Charming, 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 Prince Charming, Char yeah, there you go. And then, you know, it, the creativity just kept going. There was several that went through my mind. And then I went back up to her with this one and I said, Nicole, you're like an N95 mask. You take my breath away. Yeah, there you go. Okay, so good. <laughs> Great. All right, so what I would like you to do is turn to uh, 1 Kings chapter 19. Uh, we are uh, piece three today. Um, and so piece uh, three, and so I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings 19. I want to set this up a little bit for you. Um, right in chapter 18, there is an amazing story. In fact, it's, it's a very popular story, and if you've read Scripture a long time, you'll be very familiar with it. If, if you're just learning Scripture for the first time, this is a remarkable story that maybe you would want to go back and read later. It's about Elijah, and he challenged the prophets of Baal. And he challenged them to a showdown on Mount Carmel. So the idea was for them to build an altar and for them to put a sacrifice on top of the altar and then them pray to the God of Baal to come down with fire and burn that up. And so uh, they spent literally all day praying, all day trying to get Baal's attention. And Elijah had a good, had a good time with it because he made fun of them. It's, I love it. I love it when he's making fun of them. Maybe he's asleep, maybe he's gone on vacation, maybe he's there or there, because what Elijah knew was that that was a false god and there wasn't any demons that were connected with those idols. I don't know if you know this or not, but there are idols in scripture where demons are connected to them and then there's idols in scripture that are just stone, that are nothing. So there's two different types of idol worship in the Bible. Baal has nothing attached to him at all. And so he was saying, maybe he's, maybe he's doing this, maybe he's doing that, but the fire never came. And then Elijah, in a moment of brilliance, during a drought, during a drought, 
had his altar and his sacrifice doused with water. And it wasn't just one time, it was many times. So a miracle had already started to happen before the big miracle happened. They found water to soak his sacrificial area down. And right there, you're like, okay, God's at work here. Because where are they getting this water? It's been a drought. And, and what, where are they getting this stuff from? So I know where Mount Carmel, never mind. Anyway, they have water. So they douse it down. And Elijah just prays and fire falls from heaven and consumes not only the sacrifice, but all the stones around the sacrifice. And nothing is left when that fire is finished. Nothing at all. An amazing moment. Then Elijah takes a sword and kills all the prophets of Baal. All 300 of them. That was not a good day for them. Right, not a good day for them at all. Not a good day. So they're dead. And then there's a guy that's running to the city and Elijah outruns him to the city. Okay, so it is a moment. It is an amazing moment that Elijah had. And it just happened like just a few days earlier than what's about to happen in chapter 19 of 1 Kings. So Elijah should be like on a high, right? Like, oh, this is, this is awesome. God is working. This is an amazing thing. I need to tell this story. And so in chapter 19, verse one, it says this, Ahab told Jezebel, all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more so if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now it's at this point in the text that you laugh because here is a woman that is more, that is less than what she thinks she is. She's very prideful. She's, she's very, uh, Elijah doesn't control things. I control things. And she makes this threat to Elijah. Elijah, who just had fire come down off a mountain. Elijah, who just outran somebody to the city. Elijah, who just prayed and the three and a half year drought ended because it started to rain. This is a woman that says, I am better, more powerful than that. And I'm gonna threaten his life. It is incredibly funny to me, maybe not to you. So maybe to get you there, I would like to show you a video that I found a couple of years ago of a guy that tried out for a mall Santa Claus, okay? To kind of get you to what I'm trying to communicate here about how funny this is for her to do this. So, so here it is, watch this. Okay, Mr. Neeson, whenever you're ready. I see you when you're sleeping. I know when you're awake. Okay, that, that's good. Let's try it again, maybe a little more jolly. Pink Santa. I see you when you're sleeping. I know when you're awake. I watch you. When you're sleeping. Oh, yeah. I know when you're awake. I know. 
I'm making a list and checking it twice. I'm going to find out who's naughty or nice. Okay, I, I think maybe that's a little too intimidating. Yeah, but I, if you don't mind me saying, I think it's right. You know, do you understand what Santa's saying here? It's, he's making a list, naughty, nice, he's detailed, he's single-minded. He's an eye in the sky bringing swift judgment. Okay, but, but he's also bringing toys to children. Not the naughty ones. <laughs> Let me tell you something about that reindeer that ran over grandma. I will look for him. I will find him. And I will kill him. <laughs> so that's the, sort of, that's the sort of deal, right? Here's a lady that thinks that she can challenge a prophet of God who obviously is empowered by him. It's just, it's just really funny, especially with the success of chapter 18, that she did this. Now check this out. In verse three, it says, then he was afraid and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. So this, this kind of takes you back a moment because Elijah just had an amazing, an amazing victory and he had big success. And all of a sudden he is scared of a threat from Jezebel and he's running from her. Now to get a perspective here, Elijah was a prophet to the Northern kingdom of Israel. This means that he ran all the way down to Judah and he left his servant in Judah and then he continued to run from Jezebel because he was afraid. Something happened to him. He ran. And in verse four, it says this, but when he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, it's also a mother-in-law, never mind. And he asked that he might die saying, it is enough now, O Lord, to take away my life for I'm no better than my father's. He had a great victory and then all of a sudden he bottomed out. He's afraid of a threat and now he just wants God to take his life. So he's gone from this great success and he's dived in to like a depression, anxiety, worry, life is heavy on my shoulders, I, everything is dreary and it's not going to be good the next day. He has hit a depressive state. Sometimes we let go of the peace we have on the inside because of the threats on the outside. Sometimes we receive a threat from the outside that we think we just can't overcome and it changes our life and we kind of get afraid of it and we start running away from that threat. We try to start protecting ourselves and we let go of the peace that we have on the inside and we grab a hold of the threat and the circumstance on the outside that isn't good. And we put more of our feeling and our faith in the possibility of this threat out here than we do of the peace that we clearly have from Jesus on the inside, we let this go and we grab a hold of this and start worrying that this might take us over. You see, 
Elijah had peace in the good times. The good times was great. Somehow on Mount Carmel, he had the peace that he was going to win this one. He had it inside. He, he had grabbed a hold of it. He, he mocked the people that were trying to get their God to do what he wanted them to do, right? And he mocked them. And then when his God, it was time for his God, he had full confidence that his God was going to take care of business. He had full confidence that even if he put water on top of the altar, that fire was going to come down. He had a peace that gave him stability that allowed him to meet the challenge of the day. And then not only that, he prayed for rain and it happened. And not only that, he was so excited about the rain coming that he beat a runner that Ahab had sent to the city before him, he beat him to the city. So he was very energized and very like, yeah, I'm winning, I'm winning and winning. And just because Jezebel said that she was gonna kill him, he went into fear and went down from there into worry. Now, maybe in Elijah's mind, this was the moment in time where everything was gonna change for Northern Israel. Ahab seemed to be fine. Ahab was there on the mountain when he killed all the prophets. Ahab seemed to, seemed to say, hey, yeah, your God is real. So Ahab went home and told his wife, and maybe in Elijah's mind, everything was gonna change and everything was gonna be better. And the king and queen were then going to follow Jesus. Maybe that was on his mind. And when it didn't happen, he became very afraid. When the circumstance that he thought was being achieved with all this, didn't happen. He became afraid and he ran from that. So at the first sign of trouble, he ran. How many of you and I do the same thing when we have miracles that happen in our lives, both big and small, and we forget them when something outside becomes very troublesome. I'll preach a message here and I love to do it. I, I love to do this right here. I love to sit here. I love to explain scripture. I love to connect. I love to do this. This is a moment for me that I know is not just me, it's someone else doing it. And it's great to be a part of this. But I tell you, there's some Sundays that I, I step down from this after doing it twice now, love to do it that I go home and on my way home, I begin to think, man, I could have done that better. And then that voice becomes, dadgummit, I cannot speak when I'm on that stage. Cause sometimes this part of my body does not connect to this part of my body. And so these words that I can say all during the week do not come out clearly on Sunday. Sometimes I go back and I'm sitting in my car, but man, I really stuttered the entire time I did that. And before too long, that, that begins to mull around inside of my mind and I get to where <sighs> nobody's ever gonna come back to church. They're never gonna come back to Farmington. The elders are gonna meet and they're gonna say, there's somebody else that can do this better. And then I wind up praying sometimes, Lord, look, I know people that can do this better. That is a fact. I know some people that can do this better and they just need to take over and take the church to where they need to go. And before too long in, in the afternoon, I have to catch myself and go backwards 
and remember what happened during that service that was way beyond me and my mistakes, way beyond my stuttering, way beyond my inability to say some words that I normally could say. I have to go back and, and think about that. Wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. God really worked, even though I was a bumbling idiot, he was an amazing mover of people's hearts. And that's a blessing. But the place I start to get back to there is this one. I have the blessing of salvation. God has saved my soul. And that is something that nobody can take away from me. Nobody can take that away from me. And if Jesus saved me, I must be valuable and I must be worth something because the price that he paid for my soul is greater than anything I could repay him. I am in debt to Jesus Christ, my savior, because of the value that he placed on my life to save my soul. And that is the theological position that you work yourself back with. You start with that, wait a minute, I am valuable. I'm not stupid. He created me. I do have some flaws, but he still created me. And you work yourself backwards and then you start remembering the blessings that he has given you and the miracles that, he, that has happened in your life. Nobody can take that miracle from you. In this passage of scripture, what I'm, what I'm struck with is that threats do not mean that God is absent. Sometimes we, we get these threats on our lives and we're, and we're feeling concerned about our lives or what we are or if we're worth something or what other people think, but threats, threats do not mean that God is absent. In fact, threats mean that God is still with you. He was with you on the mountain when you were being successful and he's with you during the threat, threatening times. He's just as with you here as he was there. See, the emptiness that you feel inside does not mean that God is not inside of you. He is still there. You may not feel him, but he's still there. And let me tell you something else. God was with you before you were saved. He was with you. See, John 3, 16 tells us that God so loved the whole world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Scripture also teaches us that the Holy Spirit draws lost people to salvation. That means when they hear the message that they're drawn to salvation, they're drawn to Jesus. And so Jesus is at work in your life, even when you don't believe in him, he's drawing you to himself to try to get you to believe. He's always with you. You can deny his existence, but God is still gonna be with you. You can say that he's real and God's just as much with you here as he is there. He's trying to get your attention and he's never going to leave you. Never, ever, ever. So we need to understand that when Elijah was running, away from danger, God was running with him. God was running with him. When you run away from danger and when you run away from faith and when you give in to fear and despair, God is running with you. It might not feel like he's there, but he's keeping up with you. And let me tell you something, he can keep up with you. You will not put him in the dust 
He is going to be there with you. He's going to be right by your side. And just because you feel off does not mean that God isn't there. He's there. He's there. He's always there. Verse five. And he lay down and slept under the broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said, arise and eat. And let me tell you something. I want this angel. This angel right here, I'm very excited about this particular angel in scripture. Because this angel wakes you up and then there's cake. It says verse six, and he looked and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and lay down again. This is amazing. What kind of cake was that? Is it chocolate? Like I like chocolate with marble in it. I mean, wake me up, Lord. Oh, a chocolate cake. That would be incredible. Or a five flavored pound cake with six flavored icing is incredible. Incredible. There's also another pound cake that I'm not gonna say here, but it's really good as well. There's somebody in the church that makes it. It's really good, but it's not bad. But it, yeah, anyway, I like it. I like this particular cake. So nonetheless, it could be any of that cake. What, isn't that great? Like cake? So, so here's, here's the application. Here's the application to this. If you're ever down and you're ever discouraged, go to sleep and eat cake. Go to sleep and eat cake. The sugar will get you on a high and you're good to go. So sleep and eat cake. Sleep and eat cake. And I can see that most of us in here wouldn't have a problem with that, right? Sleep and eat cake and be joyful. Eat cake. I think it's incredible. But seriously, though, when you are downed, sometimes the best thing to do is take a nap. I know for me, when I do a funeral, I have to go home and take a nap just to sleep off the heaviness of that particular day with that family. I just have to sleep it off so that it, it gets a little bit better for me to get up and actually, and actually function better. The, the, the grief, the despair that you feel that other people have, just taking a nap helps you kind of sleep some of that off and, and you wake up more positive. But here it says you, you sleep and you eat. And if you're depressed, you sleep and you eat something and then you sleep and you wake back up and you eat something else. You don't quit eating. And not only do you eat something, but you get up out of your bed and you go to your kitchen to a different location and you eat it there. And even though you still kind of have some of the residue of feeling down and feeling anxiety and in despair, you still need to move. If you stay stationary in the bed, it just gets worse and worse and worse. So God is sending this angel with food in order to wake him up and get him moving. In verse seven, it says, and the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, arise and eat for the journey is too great for you. So here God knows what to do. God wakes Elijah up, he gives him something to eat and he says, listen, you are going to continue on your journey and I want you to go all the way to a mountain where I'm gonna meet with you. So he, he moves him, he gets him to move, he gets him active, he gets him going. And he does this long before he talks to him. He gets him moving, 
He gets them going. He gets them energized. He gets some carbs in there or whatever. He gets the carbs in there, the sugar in there. He gets it going so that his spirit can rise. Then in verse nine, it says, there he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel who have forsaken your covenant and thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, even I only am left. I seek my life to take it away. I want you to notice what has happened here is Elijah has allowed the voices to overpower his mind. That is what has happened. See, this all started with Jezebel, who's already not a good woman. She's not a good woman, who sent a threat to him, and the threat was real. I mean, she, she was going to try to deliver on this. It would, I think it would have been funny if, to see that happen. I don't know if you know anything about Elijah, but he's not shy of calling fire down on people, right? He's, he's just not shy on that, shy on that little deal. So here she is. And, and he gets this, and what he's allowed to do is he's allowed her voice to echo in his mind. And the longer that he's allowed her voice to echo in her mind, the louder it became, and the more stuff began to attach to it. I'm fearful for my life. I am worthless. I am not a success. I am not this. I am not this. And the, and the amount of stuff that's going on in his mind right now is all defeatism. He's defeated, and he's listening to all of it to the point where he thinks that he is the only one in the world that loves God. I'm the only one left, Father. Everybody else has forsaken you. Do you want me to build a boat? Right? No. He, everybody, everybody's forsaken. And I'm here to tell you, there's at least 7,000 people who are still faithful to God in this time period when he's saying this. He has allowed the voices to so control his environment, but now he really believes that he's the only one left and he's believing all the lies of the voices inside of his mind. And he needs to quit listening to those voices. And if you're down and if you're discouraged, you have to quit listening to the discouraging voices. You have to quit listening to those and you have to start listening to God. Check this out. Verse 10. I mean, well, verse, I'm sorry, verse 11. And he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great and, in a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. This is a picture of what is going on in Elijah's mind. He feels like his world is being torn apart and he's listening to that destructive voice in his mind. But here in scripture, it says, the Lord is not in that voice. The stuff that says that you're gonna be ripped apart, the stuff that says that your life is falling before your eyes and everything is crumbling is a lie. That is not really the way it is. The Lord is not in that voice. And it continues in verse 12. Uh, well, it continues in that verse, actually. And it says, and after the wind, an earthquake, 
but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Have you ever felt like even the foundation that you have laid is trembling and it's cracking and you feel like it's unstable and, and, and you're going to fall into an earthquake at any moment and be totally destroyed. God is saying that that voice is not his voice. He's not in the wind. He's not in the mountains coming apart. He's not in the earthquake that you feel inside, the instability that you feel inside. Verse 12 says, and after the earthquake, a fire. It just feels hot. I feel, feel so oppressed here. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, the low whisper, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. See, the loud voices of destruction inside of his mind were not how God was speaking to him. God came to him in a low whisper, a peaceful whisper. A Elijah, what are you doing sort of thing. See, God wants you to have peace. Jesus wants you to have peace. The Holy Spirit wants you to have peace inside of you. And there's always that voice of his that is speaking peacefully to your heart if you will just listen to it. It's there. The other voices are not from God. The voices of discretion, the voices of despair, the, the voices of worry, the voices of concern, the voices of anxiety are not from God. God is not in those voices, but he's in the calm voice that's saying it's gonna be okay. You're my child. I'm going to take care of you. Elijah, what are you doing? What are you doing? So Elijah hears that voice. And he says, verse 14, I had been very jealous for the Lord and the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I even, I only am left and they seek my life to take it away. Now, when I first read this, I thought that maybe sometimes in scripture, what happens is you have something that's said here and then it's expound upon and then it's repeated, right? It's the same time period. Like he only would have said that once is what I'm saying. But in this passage of scripture, it's not that way. He actually said it the first time when he got to the cave and he's saying it again after he hears the, the small voice. And in Elijah's mind, he's like, haven't you heard what I've told you, Lord, are you not listening to me? Things are bad. I'm alone. They're trying to kill me and they're going to kill me. Didn't you hear what I told you? Don't you care about my feelings? Don't you listen to what I'm saying to you? Have you ever had that conversation with somebody? Or you were having a conversation and you keep repeating how you're feeling and they're totally ignoring it? God's totally ignoring, <laughs> in a sense, what he's saying. He's not even responding to him. Check this out in verse 15. And the Lord said to him, go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus. And when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazel king over Syria. But wait a minute, wait a minute, Lord, hold on, hold on a second. I just poured out my life to you to say, everything's falling apart and nothing's going right and I'm just worthless. God says, oh, 
you need to get back to work. I woke you up, I gave you chocolate cake, I gave you energy to make it to this mountain. I've illustrated what's going on inside of your mind. And now that you know all this, now that we've had this particular conversation, I am not going to validate the lies that are in your mind by singing Kumbaya and holding your hand as you cry. I'm gonna give you a quick dose of reality to say, it is time to get back on purpose and back on task. I have called you to do something else rather than wallow in your depression. See, if you are down, you've got to eat, you've got to sleep, and you've got to move, and then you have to come to the point where you acknowledge that the voices inside of you are lying to you and they're not the voice of God. And then you have to say, God has a purpose for me and I'm going to step out in that purpose. I am going to do that thing because God is not going to validate anything that isn't true. He's just not gonna do that. You might be praying for something to be fixed that isn't even broken. I'm gonna say that again. You might be praying for something to be fixed that isn't even broken. My wife, bless her heart, and I can give this illustration, has trouble with electronics. She has trouble with electronics. She has an iPhone, the easiest phone to work in the world is an iPhone. It's just the easiest phone to work in the world. But she'll come in, this isn't working. Okay? Do a couple things, a couple things. It's, it's working. It works for me. Hand it back to her. She works. It just drives her crazy. She's asking me to fix something that's already fixed. Why is my battery going down? Probably because you spent, anyway. This is what happens. It's a give and, give and take, Right? You don't validate that, hey, the phone is broken, we should just go buy a new one. Because you know what will happen, we buy the new one and then she won't be able to work that one either. That's just the way, right? If you give me a power tool, it's gonna to be the same way. I can make fun of myself as well. But that thing, sometimes we pray for God to fix things that's already fixed. It was never broken. We have just thought that it was broken. And that is what God is saying here. Nothing is broken. Hello, I just gave you an easy victory. And if you think you had a part in it of lighting a torch, pouring gas on something to get that fire started, you have another thought coming. And if you think you really beat him in a running contest, you didn't. And if you really think that you're the one that sent the rain, you didn't. Quit praying for stuff that isn't broken and let's get back to reality. I have something that I've called you to do. You need a purpose. Let's go do it. Anoint this king. Sometimes when we're depressed and we're down, we just need to grab a hold of the purpose that God has for us and step into that moment and do it. Even though we still feel a little residual, right? It just doesn't go away. Even though we feel that little residual, we grab a hold of what God is doing and we do that thing. And before too long, depression and all the stuff the enemy is trying to get us to believe is left way behind and we're back working for God the way that we should work for God. So quit listening to the voices, listen to God and get back to work. This is in essence the same sort of thing as there was a tree when I was little 
And um, it was, I don't know what type of tree it is, but it's the type of tree that um, produces beans, what I call beans. You ever seen the bean tree? I call it a bean tree. I don't know what it is, but it's a, and I would think, oh my goodness, are we going to have to shell these? Because I grew up, we had gardens and stuff. Is this some type of trick mom and dad has that we have to shell these? Anyway, I would climb this tree and one day I fell out of the tree and I was on the ground at my house and I was crying and my dad came out of the shop and he came up to me and he looked at me and he said, get up, walk it off. What? Get up, walk it off. And he made me get up and walk it up. Are you sure? My leg, my leg, are you sure? The contrast to that is my wife, who if, if one of our kids would have fallen, she would have went down and went, okay. And then there would have been 12 to 30 things that it could possibly be medically. Okay, and we need to take this person to the ER to get a, you know, a x-ray. Thank you. Thank you. I was thinking cat scan, but that wasn't it. An x-ray to make sure that this is okay. And her whole family is just that medical, medical, you know, they, they are like doctors. They feel like they're doctors. They can give you, you know, this is what it is. And mo most of the time it's the worst case scenario. They're worse than Google. So, so they do all of this. And I think half of what they say, they make up. I, I just do. And over here, you have my dad saying, hey, get up and walk it off, right? God is saying, there's nothing to this. There's no reason for you to be down. You need to get up and walk this thing off. Sometimes when we're just depressed and we're all worried, what we really need to do is just get up and walk it off. We walk by faith. We walk by faith not by sight. We walk by faith. We take those steps. I want you to notice um, <laughs> verse 18 says this, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal and every mouth that has not kissed him. You and I can really make it up in our mind that we're just all alone and nobody's with us. And that is a lie. Do not believe that lie. There are other people out there and God is saying, oh, by the way, you were wrong. There's a bunch of people Wake up, buddy. Let's get back to work. So I'm gonna leave you with some things that Jesus said. That's okay. Because I think, I think he's a he's, um, pretty smart guy, wouldn't you say? Knows what's going on, created us. So let's leave with a couple of things that Jesus says about peace. First of all, John 14, seven, it says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This means that for a Christian, the moment that we're afraid is the moment that we are away 
from Jesus and his purposes and we go back to Jesus and we grab a hold of that eternal peace inside of us and hold it on and hold on to that. Peace I leave with you and it's not just any peace. It's Jesus' peace. The peace that surpasses all understanding is what we cling to to get through troubled times. Here's the next one. Matthew eleven twenty eight 28 through 29 says, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. It doesn't say you might find rest. It says you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the stage you've given us. and um, Forgive us, Father, for the times where we do not grab a hold of the peace that you have given to us as a gift. Forgive us for the times that we've been overly worried about situations in our life. Forgive us for the moments where we have cried the sky is falling and it really wasn't. Forgive us for that. Father, I pray for each one in this room and each one that's watching online that you will give them the strength to hold on to the peace that you've given to us as a gift. That you'll give us the strength and, and the focus that we need to do your work, to be content with your work and to not so easily fall when a threat happens or when something doesn't exactly go our way. I pray, Father, you'll help us be people of faith. People that catch ourselves before we get too dark in our minds. People that don't listen, that would not listen to the voices in our mind, but only seek to listen to you. I pray for the individual in here that does feel down. I pray that this is a message that will help give them courage to step in the right direction and get that health back that they need so much mentally. I pray that they'll pursue you and listen for your comforting voice, that you will guide them into the way of peace. We know that you will. You have promised to, and we trust in that. So we leave all these things at the foot of the cross, and in Jesus' name we pray, amen. The altar is open for you if you need it today. Uh, as we sing this invitational hymn, and I'm here to pray for you if you need that as well. So as we sing.